turn to verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter was writing to a, uh, a people, so church, the churches that were scattered. We see that, don't we, in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They're scattered, and he says that a bit later on. And so Peter is writing to a church in a group of churches, a people of God that are coming under persecution. They're scattered. They are uh, coming under that persecution. They are being uh, mocked and abused. Uh, losing friends, families, workplaces, even their lives, wondering uh, what was to become of them. And what we see, especially as we read even in in chapter 2, and also if you were to read uh, chapter 1 before it, uh, Peter showing how much of a privileged position Uh, These people were, these Christians were, that even though they were scattered, even though they were being persecuted, tried and tormented for their faith, he's saying, look at the privileged position you are in. Chosen of God, he says in verse 4 of chapter 2, and precious. Chosen of God and precious. In verse 9, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a, a people that have been set apart, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They've been called out of that darkness into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. Once they were headed for hell, they were in, uh, headed for eternal death, but now they've been brought out of that and now into a light of Christ Jesus. In the past, he says, in verse 10, in verse 10, he says, which in time past were not a people. You were scattered. You were separated. Well, not just separated from your people, but separated from God Almighty, at enmity with him, enemies of him, battling with him, warring with him. You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Precious in his sight, beautiful in his sight, chosen of God. Before, no mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And so we come to verses 11 and 12, where Peter now is saying, well, because of this, this is now what God wants you to do. This is what God expects of you now as children of God, precious in his sight. Those who have been bought at a great price. Now you are the living stones 
being built up as a spiritual house, the priesthood, that royal priesthood, belonging to God, beloved. And so he says that, doesn't he, in verse 11? Dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. And this isn't Peter saying, I love you. What, what, what Peter is saying here is, God loves you. You are dearly beloved of God. You have been placed into that position where you are precious. You are acceptable to God. Not by anything that you've done, but by uh, Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 5. You're not a people, but now you are a people. And so Peter is saying, this is the privileged position that you are now in. And so now, what is expected of you? And so he says, uh, dearly beloved. You are loved of God. You are coming under God's care. You are coming now under God's provision. He is the good shepherd who provides all of your needs. God is loving you now with that unconditional love. God is pouring out his love upon you. And as we know, it is not because of anything of our own. It is because of Jesus Christ. The love of the Father sending the Son, Jesus, into this world for sinners. As Jesus is loved by the Father, then we also now are brought into that family, brought into being beloved of God, loved by God. And so Peter says, dearly beloved, I beseech you. He's pleading. He's saying, well, because of this, because of what God has done, what God is doing in your lives through Jesus Christ, I cry out to you. I plead with you. I beseech you now. And this is what I want you to do. That even though you are strangers and pilgrims, and here again, uh, Peter is, is talking to a, a scattered congregation, scattered churches, a scattered people. He says, well, you're strangers and pilgrims. What, is he, what does he mean by this? Well, strangers, aliens, foreigners. He's saying is, you may not have a home. Your home may have been taken away from you. Your livelihood may have been taken away from you. Your family, your friends may no longer be family and friends to you. They may have shunned you because of now your uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? This isn't your home. It was your home at one time when you were, al when you were aligned with the world. When you were in love with the world and its material possessions, trying to make a name for yourself amongst your, your fellow citizens in the world. But now, you are the people of God. Your home is in heaven. You're storing up treasures and riches in heaven. You're strangers here, you're pilgrims, you're just passing through. You're not laying down roots here. It doesn't matter if an enemy comes in and takes it all away from you. Because ultimately, 
The love of God cannot be taken away from you. The death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ cannot be taken away from you. The joy, the peace which passes all understanding that comes from the Father cannot be taken away from you. Don't fear what an enemy can do, what a moth can do, what rust can do, what decay can do. Don't fear that, he's saying. You're strangers, you're pilgrims passing through. You do not have any foundations here in this world anymore. You once did. You once were trying to make a name for yourself. But you're no longer like that. You're strangers, you're pilgrims. You're living in the world. But you have nothing to do with this world. You're living amongst people that maybe were your friends and your neighbours. But now, you have God as your father. You're living in his household, under his roof, taking upon him now, uh, taking upon yourself now his name and bringing glory to him. You're a foreigner, you're an outsider, you're an alien, you're a stranger, you're, you're a pilgrim. You are going through this world now not attached to it anymore like you were before and that is such a difficult thing for us to grasp in a westernized society which is all about trying to make our lives as comfortable as possible and the, the homes that we live in the extensions we put on them the way we try to make a, a living for ourselves, a name for ourselves. And Peter's saying here, no, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, you are no longer part of this world. You are passing through. The world, as we know now, hates you. Once you were aligned with the world, you were going the way of the world. But now the world hates you. As Jesus says, if it, hate, if it hates me, the master, then how much more or how much will it hate the servant also who comes in the name of the master? We are now going a different way. We are not floating or drifting along the way of the world, but now we are swimming against that tide to know that the world is not our home anymore. Our treasures stored up somewhere else. Don't be making a name for yourself here. Don't be making a status symbol for yourself here. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of this world. Don't even be, be part of that. And this is where we need to remember the privilege uh, that we have in Christ Jesus the position that we have been put into. And we need to keep reminding of ourselves of that. Because how many times, and even the disciples said it, remember when they said, Lord, we've given up family, we've given up friends, we've given up work, we've given up everything to follow you. And they're going, what have we got to show for it? Even the disciples were thinking that. They were thinking, well, hang on a bit. What's happening here? I seem to be giving up everything. Not maybe sometimes where we're thinking, well, hang on, I'm giving, I seem to be giving up so much. I seem to be giving up all 
that I have accumulated, all the things that this world says I should be trying to, to gain for myself, and yet here it seems as if it's all going away. And we, we cry out to God and say, God, what's happening? And we forget, don't we, that actually this is not our home. This is not what we're building up. But what we have is a Savior who died for us. The wages of sin is death. Do you want to be working that you obtain eternal death? That's the question. Really, we, we have to remember that uh, we need to, to answer. What are we working for? What are we heading for? What are we trying to build up? But no, Peter says here, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We are no longer part of this world. We are passing through. This isn't our world. This isn't uh, 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 what we are to, to be building up. And we're scattered, aren't we? Here we are, feeling uh, disparate, a remnant, maybe. Living amongst uh, 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 people who, who do not believe. We see that, that, that clash that we have. You'll come across it with your families, parents, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. Where you talk to them about the, the, the love of the Father. Talk about the, uh, uh, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And you, they just torment you or dis shun you. We live in a world that is against God. And we should not be surprised at that. We are now strangers and pilgrims. And then he goes on to say, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. We have nothing to do with this world anymore. It's material possessions. It's fame, it's fortune, it's celebrity status trying to build a name for ourselves. That is not who we are anymore. We know we talk about uh, fighting our war against the world, the devil, and the flesh. And what Peter is saying here is actually, it's, it's from our very insides, as Paul was talking about, we're killing off our old man, killing off our old selves, having nothing to do anymore with what we were before. We were saved by the precious blood of Christ Jesus. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Because we want to hold on to those things. We want to hold on to the things of this world. Because to uh, set them aside, to leave them behind, to no longer have them. Then when our friends, our neighbours look upon us, we feel as if maybe we're second-class citizens. When we say, well, no, that, that's not what's important in life, when we say that to them. And when we say that to someone who that is the be-all and end-all in our lives, those, those uh, fleshly lusts, where they are just giving in to the cravings 
of all that they are and all that they are as sinful fallen human beings when that is all that they are about, the time that they spend on themselves and, against, and on, their, uh, uh, on their fleshly lusts, the money that they spend on those things, time and money and thinking. Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts. And again we're thinking, well, why should I give up the pleasures of this world? Why should I not have these luxuries? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these luxuries. God is uh, uh, gracious to you in those situations. But if that is our be-all and end-all, or if we, just, we cry out to God and say, well, that's not fair. Why can't I have this when my neighbor has that? And so the psalmist would be crying out, They're just saying, hang on a bit, God. Look at these evil men. They seem to be accumulating vast wealth. What about them? Whereas I, who am following you, loving you, adoring you, praising you, giving up everything to follow you, it seems as if I have nothing compared to them. We don't want to abstain from fleshly lusts. We want to keep on holding on to as much as we had before. We want to try and hold on to all we had before while still having one foot in the kingdom and one foot in our old lives. And Peter's saying, with Paul and Jesus and the other apostles, no, abstain. Abstain. Do not do that. Abstain. Cut it out completely. Because that's not who you are anymore. You are not to give in to those uh, fleshly lusts, those, those cravings. All of those things that you once thought, that's what I'm living for. Those cravings of the, the, the lustful flesh. And we say, why should I give up this? And we cry out to God, say, it's not fair. Why can't I have these pleasures? And yet we forget, don't we? And we need to go back to chapter 1 and then through the beginning of chapter 2. What is the privilege what has God bestowed upon you as a believer, as a child of God, that is far superior than anything that the world could ever provide for you? We read, don't we, in verse 2 of chapter 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so, ye be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Lord is gracious. And he wants you to grow. Not in material wealth. Not in any of those uh, lusts of the flesh. Or the things of this world. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. Having tasted that the Lord is gracious. Be reminded of what the Lord has given to you, that you are now a holy priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We have a Savior who died for us. And yet, don't we, Peter has to remind these people Abstain from fleshly lusts. 
we're reminded of, of Adam and Eve in, in the garden. And there is Lord God Almighty. And he's provided a vast garden, which is beautiful and good. And he says, you can eat of all these fruits and all these trees. But there's one that you can't eat of. One. It's not as if he says that you're only allowed to eat of this, but everything else you can't touch. No, he gives such bounteous good gifts to his children. And we moan when we say, well, why can't I have this as well? We grumble, we complain, we say, well, why can't I cling on to those things that I've worked so hard for? Why can't I have those things that everybody else in the world seems to be having? It doesn't seem to be doing them much harm. Peter needs to remind them and he needs to remind you and me, abstain from fleshly lusts because you are children of God, dearly beloved. We're strangers, we're pilgrims, we don't live here anymore. This This isn't our home. This isn't what we're about. This isn't what we're working for. This is not what we are doing to, to glorify God. And so he says we're in a war against the soul. A war against uh, the soul. It's a battle that we are in. It's not easy. It's hard. Peter here knows how difficult it is. He says it's a war against the soul. That fight. Who will we give glory to? Who, whose will will we come under? Will we uh, come under the will of God or will we retain that will for ourselves? Will we call God our Lord and not just take him for a saviour? Will we say, Lord, I will do thy will, thy will and thy will alone. This is battle that we have. That's why Paul tells us to put on the heavenly armour. We are in a battle. We are in a war against our very soul. A war. When we're in wars, we need to, as as Paul would say, uh, Galatians 5 especially, where he says, walk in the spirit, doesn't he? Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Don't fulfill the lust of the, the flesh, Paul says. Peter says here, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And again, we have to remind ourselves and be reminded, that's what Peter has been doing in the first chapter and in the first part of of, of chapter 2. He's been reminding you of the glorious riches of the inheritance of Christ Jesus. It's not as if the Lord God Almighty says, do my will and you'll be miserable. Do my will and... You will earn nothing. No. He says, enter in, good and faithful servant. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. We're walking in the light. We have some, we, 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 we preach and have received the good news of Christ Jesus. The children are learning I'll be learning the first catechism. This is what's the chief end of man. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Like I've said before, I'll probably say it again. The chief end of man is to glorify God and won't be miserable. No. 
to enjoy him. He's given us this so much more than we could ever have that we could achieve by our own handiwork, by in our own strength. And there's a reason why Peter says this as he moves through this. And just to finish, really, verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. As you evangelize, what we see is that, and we know, is that people look upon you. They look at how you act in situations. They look at how you speak in certain situations. And so therefore, having done verse 11, warring against the soul, living under the will of God, abstaining from fleshly lusts, then we have, when we have these honest conversations, when we have these conversations amongst the Gentiles, these unbelievers, these pagans, even though they may rebuke you, and what we know is, as Peter's saying, they even, they even saw the Christians as, as evildoers for believing in one God. So even though they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold. They will see you in your everyday life, in your everyday speech, how you act with your uh, husband, your wife, your children, your work colleagues, your friends, your family. They will see how you act, the good works that you do, and they shall behold, they shall see and glorify God in the day of visitation. And the God who comes to save, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. And so what we have here in this is we evangelize, not being a, a stumbling block, as it were, to, 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 to those who God is revealing himself, himself, himself to. If they look at us and go, well, if that's how a Christian acts, if that how, that's how a Christian works, if he's just like us, not abstaining from fleshly lusts, losing the war against the soul, just living like a non-Christian, then they will see you and chastise you and speak against you as evildoers. But they will not be able to give glory to God when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and shows them the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. Because they will go, well, if that's how a Christian acts, then it's not much different from me. Peter is saying here, as he says in verse 13, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. He's saying that when people look at you, what do they see? 
Do they see someone who is just like them? Do they see someone who is no different to them, who lives for the same means and the same uh, gains and the same goals in a worldly sense as them? Or is it that you actually look as if you don't belong here because your home is in heaven, in a different place, with a different master, abstaining from fleshly lusts? Do they see you warring against those old ways, your old self. And so therefore, that is our prayer, that we would abstain from fleshy lusts, that you would war against the soul, that by our actions, by our words, that even though they may rebuke us, they would see by your good works, which they shall behold, and glorify God when God comes upon them in power and might and they will be changed let's pray Lord God we know that in so many situations in so many uh, tasks in so many uh, trials and tribulations that we have fallen and we have looked upon our friends and families and we have realized that we have not um, shone you in good light. We have not fought that fight against our old flesh. We have not abstained from those fleshly lusts. Lord God, we pray that as we look to the position that you have placed us in, the good and perfect gifts that you bestow upon us daily, the fact that we are children of God, that we would want to abstain from fleshly lust, that we would want to continue that fight, that we would do good works in your name, and that would be uh, showing the people of this world who may revile us, who may rebuke us, who may chastise us and may think that we are foolish, that actually they would see when the Holy Spirit moves upon them to change their heart from stone into a heart of, of, of flesh, that they would see, see and, and, and know that you are God, the God of light, the God who is good, the God who loves the God who sent his only begotten Son, and whoever believeth in him and may not perish but have everlasting life. So, Lord God, we pray for any who would look at us, that they would see the light of Jesus Christ reflecting from us and want to know more of who our Saviour is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We close our Lord's Day services with Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Behold, how good a thing it is and how becoming well together, such as brethren are in unity to dwell, like precious ointment on the head that down the beard did flow, even Aaron's beard, and to the skirts did of his garments go, as Hermon's dew, the dew that doth on Zion's hills descend, 
for there the blessing God commands, life that shall never end. Psalm 133. are the services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm uh, taken by the Reverend Raymond Kemp and the prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30 taken by uh, Sir Derek McLean and remember in your prayers uh, this week the, uh, uh, the, the student being interviewed on Tuesday and pray for the training of the ministry committee as they meet here with him uh, on Tuesday and that he would be uh, the student would be uh, blessed uh, as he uh, meets with them. But now, <coughs> may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit with you all now and forevermore.